good evening. It's good to be with you this evening as we continue what we call our cheer series. Hallelujah. We appreciate that song. That's one of those old-fashioned songs I haven't heard sung in a long time, and I, I like that song. So good to be together. Once again, we encourage you to get your Bibles out as we follow and look at the things from God's Word we hope will be helpful. This lesson tonight concludes this little series we've done here on Sunday evenings as we've called it our cheer series. We've tried to look at some things that not only our young people, but all of us are facing in our culture. Uh, Peter reminded us, 1 Peter 2, that we're aliens and strangers here. If you've ever traveled overseas, you understand that they do things differently there than we do here. And culturally, we understand the same thing spiritually. The world is doing things differently than what we believe or what we do. And so those things are of mind to us as we think about this. blessings all right all right will i start over i will not okay all right we'll keep going so in our series so far what we've talked about is i know what the bible says but why can't others be right we've talked about i know what the bible says but it's my body can't i do with it what i want we've talked about i know what the bible says but can't i be spiritual and not religious last time we talked about i know what the bible says but uh, why are some privileged and maybe I'm not? Tonight we're going to talk about a topic I think is something that a lot of us have wondered about. It's a question that is asked and sometimes it's just difficult to answer this question. And I really appreciate the feedback we've had in this series. I really appreciate working with Jason on this. It's so easy to work with him on things like that. But we want to talk about this evening in our conversation format. I know what the Bible says but how can a loving God send anyone to hell? And that's at the forefront of evangelism. And it makes us think about so many things. How does the love of God match the wrath of God? And if God really loves us, how could he punish us? And hell seems to be so long. And there's all kinds of layers and layers and layers of questions about that that we're going to try to address as many as we can tonight and to look at some of these things. Now, next week, Lord willing, uh, Zach Densford is going to be preaching for us, and we want to encourage you to come back and be there for that. Uh, I like both those Dins Densford boys' voices. When I grow up, I want to talk like they talk. They, it's just amazing to me. Two weeks from now, Lord willing, on Sunday night, we're going to have a singing service. And so uh, just a little bit of things that were coming down the road here on Sunday nights. But tonight, what we want to talk about is this subject of why would a loving God send anyone to hell and so our first question we want to address in this is first of all how do we know that there's a hell you know 13 percent of jesus teaching uh revolved the subject of hell and punishment uh, 75 percent of teachers in seminaries no longer teach the subject of hell a very 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 famous religious writer says i have not used the word hell in my writings in 25 years uh, most are leaning toward the idea of either annihilation, all the wicked just cease to exist, or a form of universalism where everyone is saved and no one is lost. We think about the song such as John Lennon's Imagine. He says, imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Well, what if that was true? And that would just change everything that we know about. 
And so popular writers like Rob Bell, who wrote a book a while back that, that talks about love wins, uh, basically pushes the idea that at the very end, the love of God is going to conquer all things and nobody will be lost. And so these are some serious concerns and questions. And when we think about how much the Bible teaches about this, what about this topic? So let's begin the very first question. How do we know there's really a hell? Let's open our Bibles back to Matthew chapter 25. And while you're turning back there, I mean, let me just ask those of you in the audience. How many of you have ever heard someone grapple with that question? How could a loving God send anyone to hell? Have you ever heard anybody ask that question? If you have, just raise your hand. You see, I mean, nearly, I think, every hand in this auditorium is raised. This is not the easiest thing to talk about. This is certainly not the most pleasant thing to talk about. But it is worth talking about it. One reason, because so many people wonder the question, but the greater reason that it is worth talking about, even if nobody on planet Earth was asking the question, it's worth talking about because, as you've mentioned, Jesus talks a lot about it. In fact, you do a little bit of comparing. The Lord Jesus talks more about hell than any other voice in the New Testament. If that's the case, if Jesus talked about it more than anybody else, then we need to listen carefully to what he said. So, how do we know that there is a hell? Well, the one who has prepared it told us so. That's the short answer. And I take that from Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now we, we jumped right into the middle of a context there. If you, you, you skip up to verse 31, Roger this morning reminded us of the importance of context. And really the context it begins long before this, but... Jesus is delivering a series of, of illustrations to get people to understand what is coming. And, and the beginning of this immediate context is verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, not if, but when, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, some of these little words are really important. When he comes, all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He describes those who will be commended for the way that they live. And then in verse 41, where we started, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. He describes in this immediate context things that certain people did not do 
They neglected to show kindness and compassion and, and help the people around them. And in verse 45, then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. We often talk about how eternal life with God, heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. But the same God who has gone to prepare a place for us has also prepared a place for those who choose to be unprepared for this great appointment when all Stand before his glorious throne. We know that it is because the one who has prepared it has told us that it is. Let me show you a couple of things too, <clears throat> real quickly. In, in Matthew 25, 41, hell is prepared for the devil. It's not made for people. People aren't supposed to be there. So if you were God and you want to make the worst punishment you can imagine you, for the devil, you'd make hell. If you keep your hand here, keep your hand because we're going to be right back here. Go with me to John 14. And in John 14, and in verse 3, as we talk about heaven, I go and prepare a place for you. Heaven is made for us. Hell is made for the devil. And so that, that, that's a contrast we need to understand. Also, in Matthew 25, as Jason said, look at that last verse. And gets back to our lesson this morning as we think about looking at words. Okay, It says, these will go away into eternal punishment, not the end of a sentence comma there in New American Standard, but the righteous and eternal life. If there is a heaven, there is a hell. If there is no hell, there is no heaven. Those two, go, those two exist equally. And so Jesus in that same sentence tells us there's a heaven and there's a hell. All right, so two <laughs> prepared places. Let's make it a little more personal. Why would God send anyone to hell? First of all, that question sounds as if God enjoys that, and he doesn't. I believe it's going to break the heart of God for anyone to be lost. Secondly, what that question sounds like, it sounds like God is randomly picking people and consigning them to hell just because I want you to be there. And some people may go kicking and screaming. Some people may go, well, I'm a believer in you, but I have assigned that. And, and that's not what the Bible teaches. So, so let's, let's run through some verses real quickly. Go with me to John chapter 12 and verse 48. John 12 and verse 48, where there the Lord says, John 12, 48, He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. I kind of like what a writer named D.A. Carson wrote about this. He says, hell is not a place where people are consigned because they are pretty good people but just didn't believe the right stuff. They are consigned there first and foremost because they defy their maker. They want to be the center of the universe. Hell is filled with people who for all eternity still want to be at the center of the universe and who persist in their God-defying rebellion. 
So it's not somebody who shoplifts a bar of soap at the store. That's why he goes to hell. He goes to hell because he doesn't follow Christ. Now, look in John 12, excuse me, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. In the midst of this comes also another thought. And, and this thought, again, is something that's behind all this. We sometimes think that God looks at wrong, and we assume that God looks at wrong the same way we look at wrong. So here's a guy who told a little lie. Well, he probably shouldn't have done that, but that's not the end of the world. That's how we look at it. How does God look at that? Two different things. So in John chapter 8, Jesus would say this in verse 24. He said, I therefore say to you that you shall die in your sins, for unless you believe I am he, you shall die in your sins. Now whose choice is that? God hasn't spinned a dial up in heaven and randomly pulled out your name and said, okay, you're going to go to hell because I chose that. That's chosen by us. So there's consequences of our actions and our choices, and all of those lead to those things. One other passage on this, on this point here, Matthew chapter 7. And we'll come back to this in a little bit later on, but Matthew 7, starting at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father is in heaven. Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and your name cast out demons, and your name perform many miracles. Stop and look at verse 22. They're not cutting babies' heads off. They're not burning buildings. They're not destroying things. They're not out there committing mass murder. They're not pornographers or children abusing children the things that said in verse 22 are all good things they were prophesying they were doing miracles they were casting out demons those are all good things but verse 23 then i'll declare to you i never knew you depart from me you who practice lawlessness living as if there wasn't a law so why does God send people to hell? He sends them to hell simply because they do not follow the will of God. And that's the answer. And that, again, leads us to some things that the Bible's going to talk to us about when we think about evangelism. So, now, leads to our next question. And that is, eternal hell seems like the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Uh, you do something wrong, yeah, you know, you, you serve your time in prison, you get out. But there's no getting out. And this is eternal. And it seems like God goes overboard with the punishment. Let's go back to Psalm 16. And I, I really feel like um, this is sacred ground, if you will, that, that we are stepping on to because... What that feeling within us, I'm afraid, betrays. What that feeling that I have shared betrays within me is a lack of understanding of just certain fundamental things that God has revealed to us. Earlier, his throne was described as glorious. And when I feel like what I do doesn't fit what comes to me, 
number one, I, I probably don't see his throne for the glorious throne that it is. Let, let me look, first of all, with you at a, a positive verse. And then if we flip it on its side, I think it, it will help us. Psalm 16, verse 11, the psalmist writes, You make known to me, speaking of God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. A beautiful, beautiful statement right there in the heart of the Bible. Maybe you have noticed that two different times already we have heard Jesus in Matthew 7 and Matthew 25 say, depart from me. There are some as they stand before the throne of God who will hear, depart from me. First words out of the judge's mouth. And he, he, he followed up with reasons why. But why would the judge say, depart from me, as in a sense, the verdict that then has elaboration attached to it? Because that's what hell is. Hell is the absence of Psalm 16, 11. God makes known to me the path of life. If I make that choice not to walk that path, the end of the path that I choose is the absence of life. Which is why scripture refers to hell as the second death. Line two, in your presence there is fullness of joy. If I choose, as Romans 1 so tragically diagnosis to fail to acknowledge God or honor Him as God, I will get what I have chosen to exercise during my brief time on earth for eternity. I will be told, depart. In His presence is fullness of joy. Hell is the absence of his presence line three at your right hand are pleasures forevermore and we read in glorious terms about being at the right hand of God and being welcomed into the presence of God what will make hell hell is being told depart from me so why when it seems like, well, my crimes don't fit the punishment, I would suggest to you, if I'm, if I'm feeling like that and, and wrestling with that, what I need is to grow in my understanding of what sin is. Sin is not a mistake. Sin is not a, a mess up, a little stumble, a little stubbing of my spiritual toe. Sin is cosmic treason against the Lord of the universe. 
and the wages of it is death. What I need if I'm, if I'm wrestling with this is to come face to face with the absolute horror of what happened on the cross. That is so much more than a body hanging on a cross for six hours. That is, as we will probably see over the course of the next few minutes, not just physical agony, but I would suggest to you the Scriptures bear out what was greater than the physical agony is the spiritual agony that the Son of God was taking upon Himself so that we would not get what we deserve. It's very easy for us to rationalize. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good compared to other people in the world. And yes, I've done things that I know that are wrong. But in the grand scheme of things, and right there, I just need to pause and shut my mouth because I have no concept of the grand scheme of things outside of what God has told me and he in no uncertain terms tells me all sin and fall short of God's glory I will stand before his glorious throne and give an account and what I deserve is depart from me. My, my appreciation of the grand scheme of things needs to be broadened. It's hard to say this. It's hard to wrap your mind around this. That what we call good people may not make it to heaven. And in our world today, all you have to do is be good. I mean, here, here's a sweet grandma lives down the street. She makes cookies for everybody. She's really good. She just doesn't happen to go to church, but she is good. And in that definition, we think, well, she can't go to hell. The only person going to go to hell is, is Hitler. I mean, he, 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 he's going to be right beside the devil because he's so bad. And, and maybe some terrorists and, and you know, somebody who's abused kids. They're going to be right down there. But this sweet grandma... I mean, she just didn't go to church, but she is good. Again, we're using the definition of the world and not the Bible. In Romans 3, when Paul has developed Gentiles are separated from God, Jews are Gentiles, or Jew, uh, Gentiles are separated from God, he leans on the Old Testament and he looks at the scape of the world and he says, no one is good. No one is righteous. No, no. not one, which means no one is good enough. So that again gets back to everybody needs Jesus. Everybody has to follow Jesus. And that's really what, what this lesson's about. All right. So does God ever stop loving? There's been a lot of bad news so far. Yeah. Does God ever stop loving? And, and, and again, I think... You know, we, we get to, you know, there's lots of passages in the Old Testament talk about the wrath of God, the anger of God. It's there. And the Bible talks about that. 
But when we talk about this subject, we need to see that it's the desire of God for every person to be saved. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3. And this is exactly what it says in verse 9. 2 Peter 3 verse 9, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some men count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God wants everyone to be saved. Now, those who are not, those who choose to say, God, you know, I, I opt out. I, I, I don't want to believe in you. I don't want to follow your word. I'm going to do my own thing my own way. Has God stopped loving them? No. Has God stopped blessing them? No. Has God stopped trying to put things in their lives to turn them? The answer is no. And I believe even when God finally at the judgment day says, depart from me, he will still, with a tear in his eye, love them. Always. That's the nature of God. And so this is, not, this is not God loves the people in heaven and he hates the people in hell. I don't see that at all in scriptures. And I think, again, it reminds us of how he has done everything possible to get us to heaven. He sent the best of heaven. He gave us his word. He's preserved this word. He's put generations of examples through our lives that we can follow the steps of God all the way to heaven if we will choose to do that. Just building on that, I... Again, thinking about the way that we use words. I'm afraid sometimes we have it in our mind, the opposite of love is anger. And that is not true. The opposite of love is not anger. You ask any parent who, who sees their child being mistreated or hurt by someone else, and what do they feel? They feel just very naturally anger at that, right? The opposite of love is not anger. It is not, well, God is a God of love or God is a God of anger. He cannot be both. No. In fact, the more we love, the more we hate what is going on that breaks the lives of the, the people that that we love. You, you have a son who is a drunkard. The more that you love that son, the more you will hate the fact that he is a drunkard. You, you have a, a daughter who is a, just a habitual liar. The more that you love that daughter, the more that you will hate that the lying that is breaking the life of that daughter. Well, if, if we feel that as flawed human beings, how much more does a perfect Father in heaven feel anger and wrath at what is breaking his world? It's very important that, that, that we not take our conceptions and lay them on God. Allow God to define for himself how serious sin is, how much he hates sin, and how far he was willing to go Absolutely. to deal with it. Absolutely. So let's go to our next question. Next question in this happy, self-centered, pleasure-driven society we live in, how can we bring up the topic of hell? A lot of people just don't even believe in it anymore. So don't, yeah. it's too negative. Don't talk about it. Yeah. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. There are, are a variety of places that we could go, but 
as I was thinking about this question this week, I, I, I want to lean on Jesus. I, I want to lean on the Holy Spirit. We've sung this evening, leaning on the everlasting arms. It sure does seem to me like if I, as a disciple of Jesus, am going to look for when to bring this up, I ought to take my cues from the one who has prepared this. And so, for instance, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool! will be liable to the hell of fire. If you see a brother or sister in Christ whose unbridled anger is setting their life on fire, hell is appropriate to bring up. The Son of God told us so. Or, let's go to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus in this chapter is warning his disciples about the influence of the scribes and the Pharisees, and we'll just notice a couple of instances. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 13, he says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow anyone who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. When we see someone just absolutely consumed, living, breathing the air of hypocrisy, the time is going to come that it's very appropriate to point out where hypocrisy ends up. Or, same chapter, verse 33 of the chapter. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? He's talking about the, the unjust way that these men are living. And I would suggest to you, when we see injustice in the world, that's when we become keenly aware of well, some people, I just want them to be punished. Why? Because look at the injustice that they are unleashing on the world by the way they're treating other people, the way they are, are treating people created in the image of God. Now, I need to be really, really keen to how easy it is for me to want the justice of God to fall on evildoers. And then be reminded of the fact that if I get what I deserve, I don't want that. 
But when I see injustice in the world, one other verse along these lines, that's a good teaching opportunity I would suggest to you. We will see injustice all around us, in person, on the news, in social media, all around us. It's a good opportunity for us to talk to our children and our grandchildren about how one day God has made a promise and he leverages that promise to teach us how we ought to treat other people. Romans chapter 12 gives us a good sampling of that in verse 17 where Christians are told, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But that's not the end of the sentence. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, and he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 32, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now if that is true, it is absolutely appropriate for shepherds watching out for the souls of others. Sees someone in that Matthew 5 sort of scenario where in anger they are, are causing division among God's people. Very appropriate to bring up. Do you know whose child you're living like right now? You're not living like a child of God. When we see a brother or sister living in hypocrisy, the time comes when if we do truly love them, we will say, do you know where God has said hypocrisy ultimately ends up? Do you know the injustice in the world that we see all around us? God has promised that he's going to, to deal with that. We need to look for opportunities even with those who do not know God. And maybe that, that tees up our next question. But it is very appropriate that God's children would give voice to Think about where the path you're on ultimately ends. So, is it right then for me to tell someone you're going to hell? And that has been a negative that a lot of people have hung their hat on. And that has bothered a lot of people. Um, there's two sides of this I want to talk about. First of all, it is God's prerogative, not ours, to decide who goes to heaven, who goes to hell. I don't have that right. You don't have that right. But when I'm driving down the highway and a speed limit says 55 and I'm going 55 and a car flies by me, I can say he's not doing what the speed limit says. He's not doing what is right. I can look at my Bible and realize that somebody is not living according to the will of God. I think our, our society has moved so much over to tolerance, we're afraid to speak the word of God. And we need not to do that. Over in the book of 2 Corinthians, in chapter 5, and in verse 9, the apostle says, We have as our ambition, whether home or absent, to be pleasing to him. That's a driving point here we need to understand, that we must please God. There are lifestyles, there are behaviors, 
there are consequences that are contrary to the word of God. It's not what the speed limit says. And if I care about somebody, I'm going to say something. Several years ago, I had this brand new car. It's my, my black car that I drive. And Debbie and I were up in the Indianapolis area, going somewhere, doing something. And I pulled in this brand new gas station. Just opened up. Didn't have the pumps marked. So I just pumped. Left, went about 10 feet, my car died. <laughs> Found out later on it was diesel. It wasn't marked. And now, am I sitting there pumping diesel in my car? I sure would like someone to say, a son, this is not good. This is not good. Okay, I didn't know that. But now when we see somebody and we care about that, this is a son, this is a daughter, this is a parent, this is a brother, it's a sister, someone dear to me, and they're doing something that's contrary to what God says, how can I say I love them and keep my mouth silent? These behaviors, if they keep going that direction, are not leading them closer to heaven, they're leading them away from heaven. Those are some things, again, I think we, we have to keep before us as we think about this idea of who goes to hell, who doesn't. It's not God in heaven decided this before we're born. It's decided by the choices and attitudes we accept every day. Our society wants to believe that everybody's going to heaven. So it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you worship. But over and over in our Bible, we see it does matter. It does matter how you worship. God doesn't accept everything. Our society says it doesn't matter who you marry. God doesn't say that. Our society says it doesn't matter what you do. You can say anything. It's okay because God loves you. That's not what the Bible says. And so when we think about where society has been, we don't follow culture. We've got to stay with God. Now, say it kindly. Don't say it self-righteously. You're going to hell, but I'm not. Don't, don't be doing stuff like that. Don't be arrogant. Uh, it reminds me of these two preachers that were trying out. Two young preachers. One preached one Sunday, one preached the next Sunday. They so happened both to preach on the subject of hell. The second preacher was hired. The first preacher called the church and said, How is it we both preach about hell, but you hired a second preacher and not me? And the elder said, well, when you preached it, it sounded like you were happy some people were going. When the second guy preached, he had tears in his eyes. That's what we have to do. We have to remind people there's a better way of living. There's a way God made you to live. He made you on purpose for a purpose. And that's what we're seeking after. So, we've talked a lot about grace through this series. Why doesn't grace just cover me? God's wrath is not a cranky explosion like God is in a bad mood. God's wrath is his eternal opposition to the cancer of sin. You know, I... I try and, and think about a doctor administering chemotherapy to a teenage girl. 
I cannot imagine that any doctor enjoys that, knowing what that is going to do. But the doctor does that in order to save that teenage girl. And if we can get that in our, our minds, that God's fierce opposition to sin, Habakkuk 1 tells us he is of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look at wrong. But he has blessed each and every one of us with choice, personal choice. It is as old as, as the Garden of Eden. And for God to tolerate the cancer of sin in our lives is not love. For God just to pat us on the head and act like it's not that big of a deal because he, he, he does not want to go through the process of what it's going to take to heal us. That is not love. And what gets painted as love today is a clever lie that keeps us from God's cure. God gives us the choice. But he will not force us, neither is that love, to force us to accept the cure. The cure is available to all, but God allows us to choose. And he's not going to change his holy hatred for what will kill us and the people around us. Grace is available to all. Salvation is available to all. Whosoever will, not only is it him, but it's John 3, 16. God so loved the world that whosoever believeth, it's anybody, it's everybody, if they will do that. Yeah. So, <clears throat> last question for you. What is hell like? Uh, there's a lot of pictures in our Bible. Um, I think you painted the best picture. It's absence of God um, when I hear people saying my life's hell I think you have no idea the person with cancer the worst kind of cancer their life is not hell because they have life they have option the guy sitting in prison his life is not hell he has options he has hope the person that that maybe life has been hard on them maybe they're in financial trouble his life is not hell because there's hope, there's option. There is no hope in hell. There is no days off. There's no vacations. There's no weekends free. Every single day, eternity. So look with me in just a couple pictures here. Look with me in Mark chapter 9. And again, the voice of Jesus. And these are scary verses. And I think they're there for a reason. They're to tell us that, that hell's just not time out in the corner. Hell's not for five minutes, and then you're going your way. This is serious stuff. And so what he says, beginning in verse 43 of Mark 9, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Now think about that. Now we're not talking about Roman persecution <clears throat> where a Roman soldier against my will is going to put my arm down there and cut it off. He's talking about 
I cut my own hand off. This is how serious this is. He would say, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire where the worm dieth not, he says. And if your foot, verse 45, causes you to stumble, cut it off. For it's better for you to enter life lame than having two feet to be cast into hell where the worm dieth not. Again, that, <clears throat> that image of just a horror of what hell is all about. Again, again, I think the Lord's trying to press upon this. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, as Jason referenced earlier, it is called the second death. But it's a death that never ends. It's an everlasting type of death. In Luke 16, when you think about the rich man and Lazarus. Now, he wasn't in hell. He was in Hades. He was in torment. But what he desired was the tip of your finger on water to put it on my tongue. He didn't ask for a bottle. He didn't ask for a case of water. He didn't end, ask that end his thirst. Just one drop. That's how terrible, how miserable, how bad it is. But what you won't find in hell are prayers being answered. What you won't find in hell is salvation being delivered. What you won't find in hell is the idea of God's grace being extended to them. All of that's gone because that's in our life here, and that's the opportunity we have here. So that, that it, it, it's a serious, serious picture Jesus paints for us. This is why oftentimes we love sermons about heaven. Man, sing to me of heaven. Have you ever noticed in our hymn book that we, there are no songs about hell? We never sing about hell. We don't want to think about hell. We don't like hell. We don't like when the preacher talks about hell. We want heaven stuff. But the opposite of heaven is hell and we need to see how serious God has painted that picture and to see what it means as we think about life without Jesus a life where there would be no help no hope forever now one other thing before we get to our final question for Jason a lot of times I think some of this comes from the cartoons when we were growing up you'd have the the flames of hell and there's a little devil in his red outfit with his pitchfork and he's down there just jabbing people and making life miserable like and, he owns the place yeah and, and that's kind of the idea we get when you read the book of revelation the bible tells us that the devil is going to be tormented day and night in hell god is in charge of hell just as god is in charge of heaven the devil doesn't have free reign in hell the devil is not in charge of hell God is. And again, that helps us to remind ourselves hell was made to punish the devil. Which takes us to our final question. Is avoiding hell a good reason to follow Jesus? Let's go to Matthew 10, last verse in the, in the Gospels. I think this is a powerful question because it, it gets into our motivations and in one sense, this is a very good reason to follow Jesus. We just heard him in Mark's gospel. We hear him again in Matthew 10. Again, Jesus spoke more about this than any other voice in, in the Bible. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 26, he tells his disciples, So I have no fear of them, those who, who might persecute you, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. 
What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That ought to get my attention. And perhaps many of us started walking with Jesus out of fear. I don't want that. Is that okay? Well, I, Matthew chapter 10 encourages me to fear. But I would suggest to you as we grow and mature, hopefully what happens is that we move, especially if our fear is self-centered, I don't want that, to love and loyalty, I do want God. Because what makes heaven heaven is the fact that God is there. And we have all sorts of beautiful figurative apocalyptic language that tells us the, the glory of this place that God has prepared for us. What will make heaven heaven is not gold, not pearls, not a mansion over a hilltop. What will make heaven heaven is the fact that God is there. And for the first time since the Garden of Eden, there will not be any barrier. No sin, no shame, no fear. So as we grow, hopefully, maybe fear gets our attention at first, and that's certainly appropriate. But the greatest longing of our hearts is, I want to be with God face to face. That is what will make heaven heaven. So I, I want to end with you in Isaiah chapter 53. We always want to end sessions even like this with an invitation and Isaiah chapter 53 seems to me to be a very appropriate place to draw this to an end because we have heard loud and clear that love does not always equal tolerance the opposite of love is not anger and wrath the opposite of love is indifference just not caring God is not either or. It's not God of anger and wrath or a God of love. In Jesus, most clearly, we see the full picture. He is a God of anger at injustice and unrighteousness. He is a God of Anger when people are being exploited and dismissed and trodden upon. But he is also a God who weeps with two sisters at the grave of their freshly buried brother. He is a God of, of perfect pure, holy emotion. And that emotion drove him to 
intervene for us. And that is, above all, what we all need to walk away from this with. Isaiah 53 so beautifully paints it for us. Oftentimes we'll look earlier at, at the, the, these prophetic descriptions of what the cross was going to be like. But notice especially verse 10. Why was this pure servant of the Lord going to suffer in such a horrific way? Verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt. Remember, we, we drew attention earlier that what's going on in the cross is more than flesh level. It is soul level. Sin separates us from the source of all life. But God himself was willing to give himself as an offering for guilt. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Listen to verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul. Roger reminded us, I think it was just last week, you are not a body that happens to have a soul. You are a soul that for a little while is in a body. And that soul will interact with sin one way or another. Either it will taste sin and embrace Jesus as the cure, or it will inherit eternal anguish because I chose not to listen to my Creator. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. How many are righteous? None. No, not one. But because this servant was willing to suffer physically and at the level of the soul for sin, sinners could be looked on God and counted as righteous. Why? Because the wrath of God was satisfied. He shall bear their iniquities. There I will, therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That's the good news this evening. That someone is waving wrong way, flashing lights, danger ahead, but not just condemning how in the world I got on this pathway and telling me how it's going to end, but showing me there is an, a different path, a better path, a, ba a path of life. But just like I chose to commit sin, I must be the one to make the choice to respond to the cure for sin. And that's what this invitation song is all about. If what we've talked about has gotten your attention this evening, and you know 
that you need to respond to Jesus. You may still have questions, and we would love to talk with you about those, but if in this moment right here, right now, you know that you need to respond to God's cure for sin. And we can help you. Let us know how we can help by coming to the front while we stand and sing together.